today we're starting lesson two um, of Secrets of the Bible. And what's great about this class is we're going to discuss the second um, story in the Torah, second big story. But really, I think it might be the top fascinating story, the story that captures a lot of imagination, the story of a giant flood. Um, to, you know, even recently they made a Hollywood movie about it. Uh, it's such a interesting story. And what I want you to get today, uh, where we're going to go from or where we're going to get to, is it's not just a mythical, strange, weird story that people s grapple with, but it's actually a uh, very, very powerful and important story in our lives. Um, and that's really what we're going to get to. So a lot of people read the story, they have lots of questions, and it sounds kind of out there, kind of something that doesn't make any sense. But the place that we're going to get to is a place where we're going to appreciate the deeper meaning of the story, which is similar to what I, um, similar to what we did last week with the story of Adam and Eve. It's not just a mythical story; it's a real story that has real relevance in our lives. And we're and by understanding the deeper meaning of the story, we actually gain better wisdom in it. Let me just close the window. I hear some airplanes outside. Okay, so uh, first I have to start with a joke. So where does um, where does Noah keep his bees? Where does Noah keep his bees? Anybody knows? In the archive. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Okay, all right. <laughs> Um, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, it's, it's interesting that really the story of Noah is really the, I would say the tail end of many jokes. I actually went searching for a couple memes. There's quite a lot of memes out there on, uh, Noah. So you have, for example, this one. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting. There's all these memes out there on Noah. Um, that's one. Here's another. This would be really great in Florida. Why didn't Noah swap those two mosquitoes? That yeah. would have been important. Uh, another one, the score <laughs> is about the unicorn. Um, you got another one. All great, great memes about the flood. And um, I think it's, to an extent, people really do take the story of the flood as kind of mythical. And uh, many people question the judgment of it because God's destroying the world. And so we're going to get into all of that, um, where you're going to move on from all these memes about Noah and hopefully have a deeper appreciation. So in order to gain a deeper appreciation of the story, we're going to have to revisit the story and question what we know. In Judaism, the way you come to a deeper understanding, and really in any study, is by questioning. So we're going to have to start with the story of Noah itself. Now, I do have a, a video of this, but instead of the video, uh, I'm just going to read it because I find it actually more engaging. Um, so if you have a, a book, if you bought the book, you can actually see it in your book on page 38. And we're going to read all these verses. Um, so you can either follow along on the screen or um, just follow along over here. I'm going to mute everybody now. If you want to mute yourself, please uh, feel free to do that and, uh, and um, mention anything. What I'm planning on doing here is I'm going to read all the verses, and then when I'm done, I will ask everybody, I want 
to hear questions that you have on the story. You, you probably already have questions, but from reading the story, you may gain a few more. So let's read the story. So we start off with God's decision. That's really the beginning of the flood, the flood decision to bring a flood. So let's read what brought God to that decision. So text 1a. And we're not reading the entire story of Noah because it's way too long. We're actually only going to read half of the verses, but that, that'll be enough for us to get our questions. So God saw the evil of man was multiplying upon the earth and that every impulse of the thought of his heart is only evil all day. And he was pained to his heart. And God said, I will erase the human being that I've created from upon the face of the earth, from man to beast, to crawling thing, to bird of heavens, for I've regretted that I've made them but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So here we see um, God saying basically people are evil and uh, they just do evil all day. I got to get rid of them. But Noah, he's a good guy. So now the Torah digresses, talks a little bit about Noah. These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a perfectly righteous man in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah fathered three sons, Shem and Ham and Jepheth. Okay. Then the Torah continues. God tells Noah that the world would be destroyed. God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupted as all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence from them and here I will destroy them from the earth. So here we have God's decision and God, not, not only God's decision, but God telling Noah what he plans on doing. Okay, one second. Um, okay. Now we have, so God is going to tell Noah how to make sure he survives the flood. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood and coat it from within and from without with pitch. And thus you shall make it 300 cubits, the length of an ark, 50 cubits in its width, 30 cubits in its height, bottom, second, and third levels, you shall make it. So he's telling him, how are you going to survive this flood with this boat? And this boat has an interesting dimensions to it. Um, what's interesting? Okay, then we continue. And here I will bring the flood of water upon the earth. All that is on there shall expire. I will establish my covenant with you. And you will come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. From all that lives, two of each bring into the ark to keep alive with you. Male and female they should be. And Noah did as God commanded them. Now here it says two of each. Later on in the Torah it says if they're kosher, then you bring seven of each. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the seventh, second month, in the 17th day of the month, the well springs of the great deep split open. So when it says the wellsprings of the great deep split open, that means that the water came from below. There was springs that opened, literally springs. So there was water. In other words, the, the flood didn't just come rain from above, but the, it was gushing out of the ground. That's what it says. The wellsprings of the great deep split open. This is going to be an important detail. The hatches of the heaven were opened and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Whoops, went a little too far. Okay, 40 days and 40 nights. Um, okay. The waters increased. They lifted the ark. It rose above the earth. The ark moved upon the surface of the waters and the water surged upon the earth 150 days. That's quite a long flood. And God remembered Noah and all the animals that were with him in the ark. God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided in the seventh month of the 17th day of the month. The ark rested on the mountains of Ararat. The waters went on diminishing in the 10th month. On the first of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And then finally, we have it was in the 600th and 6th and 1st year in the second month on the 27th of the month, the earth was fully dried and God spoke to Noah to say, go out from the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you, all the animals that are with you, take them out with you. Text 1b, 
And so that is the story of God's planning to bring the flood, God telling Noah how to save himself, God actually bringing the flood, the end of the flood, Noah exiting the ark. And now we have Noah built an altar to God. He brought up ascent offerings on the altar. God smelled the soothing aroma and God sent his heart. Nevermore shall I again curse the soil on account of man for the impulse of the heart of man is evil from his youth. And nevermore shall I again smite all living things that I have done. So God says, ah, people are bad. Well, you know, that's just how it is. I'm never going to destroy them again. Uh, and then we have God's blessing. God bless Noah and his children. He said them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And the awe and the dread of you will be upon all the animals of the earth. In your hands they will be given. And finally, we have the covenant of the rainbow. God said to Noah and his children with him to say, I and I here I'm establishing my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with all living souls that are with you. My bow I've set in the cloud and it shall be as a sign of covenant between me and the world and it will be when I darken clouds upon the earth. The bow will appear in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and all living souls that the waters will not again become a flood to destroy all flesh. This is a sign of covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And that is the um, end of the account of the story of Noah. And again, we skipped half the details, but we got the important ones. So I would like, if you want to unmute yourself, what questions do you have on this story? And hopefully you should have a couple. Um, anybody? Yes, Jacob? Um, this is probably not one of the questions you were looking for. It's just like an out there question. Um, okay. Why is it that Hashem said to Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply, if that had already been charged upon man? Um, so actually, um, probably any question you're going to ask is going to be answered in the class, and including that one. So we, it's a good question. Why is he telling them be fruitful and multiply? He already told uh, Adam. Uh, we will address that later. Good question. Anybody else? Um, nobody? The whole thing just makes sense. The whole flood just fits perfectly. <laughs> Nothing about it bothers you? Yes, Ahava. Um, you'll have to unmute. You have to click on mute. Okay. Okay. There okay. Yeah. Okay. So, no flood in Israel or flood in Israel? That's one question I have. Because of yes. the olive branch. Because I read that, you know, when the dove went out, they got the olive branch from Israel. So was there a flood in Israel? No. There, there was a flood in Israel, yes. Interesting. Okay. Um, was it the same? So at the time, okay, so that was, that was question number one I had with that. And then um, the other question I have is like with the lions, they said like at the end, like that, the, that when Noah was going into the ark, that there were like bears and uh, and lions like protecting the door. Yeah, there were bears and lions protecting so that people who weren't supposed to get in didn't get in. Okay, thank you. No worries. Any any questions? So they were basically bouncers. Yeah, yeah. God had bouncers <laughs> sitting on the outside of the ark. Exactly. <laughs> uh, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Any any other questions on the story of Noah? Um, so from Adam to Noah, was it 10 generations? 10 Is that generations. how it was? Yep. And then from Noah to Abraham was also 10 generations. 10 generations, okay. yep. 
Okay, so I uh, do have a yeah, oh, sorry. question. Yeah. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm I've finished. I'm yeah, sorry. Finished. Yeah, don't worry. Oh, so I was going to ask. Um, I, I read somewhere or heard somewhere that upon Abraham and then his descendants were bestowed certain blessings. Uh, God gave Abraham yeah, and his. Yeah. So I think you already know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, it, it says that it says that uh, Abraham got all the good deeds of the previous generations. And Noah did not get all the good deeds of his previous generation. And you want to know why? Yeah, if it, if it begins with him saying he was a righteous, perfect man. Uh, mm. Well, well, we'll get to later that it, it does say also in the verse, he was a righteous, perfect man in his generation. He wasn't mm -hmm. super righteous. He was righteous compared to his generation, which is something we might actually touch upon later. Why is it? What was his failing? And um, why, would, why would he act that way? Uh, yes, Ketura. When it talks about the month, you know, are they talking about the month of the actual Jewish calendar? Or are they talking about a month of Noah's life and the ex you know? Yeah, it yeah. It wasn't quite um, clear because it seemed some, some of the passages seemed to re-, re um, so, seem to be talking so, about so the, Noah. So the months, the months that are there are about the Jewish year. What's interesting, and we will touch upon it later, is the flood took 365 days, which is a full secular year. So it wasn't just a full Jewish year, it was a full solar year. That's the exact length from when he entered until he exited the ark. It was a full secular year. So I'm curious to know what, do, why we don't have any commemoration of those dates, or do we? in the Jewish calendar? Um, what, well, it's before anybody was Jewish, for one. Oh, well, I guess so. Uh, I don't, I don't know if we want to commemorate when the flood started. No, either. no, when it ended, but, oh, you when know, it ended. I don't, yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, actually, this we don't even, we don't, to an extent, we don't even commemorate the day the world was created. Uh, the day the world was created, which is the 25th of Elul. We don't do That's much. True. We actually celebrate the world, the day mankind is created, but, Anyways, I, I digress. All right, so let's get into some questions over here. Wait, can I ask one more question? Yes. yes. Um, the waters were boiling during the flood, yeah? Yeah. Um, so, but the fish survived. So they, they weren't destroyed. So is that a miracle that they survived with the boiling water? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of miraculous parts of the flood, which I'm going to get to later. Uh, I'm not oh. going to delve specifically into that one, but there are miraculous elements to the flood. Um, but maybe that was the origination of uh, uh, smoked salmon or something. I don't know. It's a Jewish food. So we should commemorate it. We should commemorate it by eating lox and cream cheese or something. Okay. All right. I'm going to put a, a mute on everybody, um, but jump in because we're going to start getting into questions over here. And uh, you can unmute yourself. We have lots and lots of questions. Um, let's start with the first fundamental one, which is, I'm surprised nobody asked that today, didn't get that yesterday, which is uh, looking at the lens through modern eyes, um, did God just, is there fairness in God wiping out the entire earth? God killing everyone? We, you know, where's the benevolence of God? Isn't God benevolent and patient and kind? We always say he's very patient. You know, he seems to run out of patience over here, just a mere 10 generations um so what's going on over here uh in fact a lot of people like to 
put this story and, and so to speak, put down the Bible by looking at the story of Noah by saying, oh, uh, what, what type of horrible God do you have wipes out an entire earth? So we have to put it into perspective. And this is the perspective we also gained last week. And that is that uh, God is not vindictive. God is not into punishments as much as he into consequences. There are consequences to actions. As we saw last week with Adam and Eve, why were they punished so harshly? It wasn't as much a punishment as a consequence of their actions. And the same thing is over here. God created this world with a purpose. God had a desire that he should have a relationship with people that will express his goodness and kindness upon this earth. So he had an express purpose. But in order for there to be a relationship with people, um, and in order for uh, it, in order for God's expression to come down into a lowly earth, he had to give people free will. God doesn't need a world of people without free will, because if we don't have free will, then our actions are meaningless. We're not truly expressing God's goodness. We're just an extension of him. Similar to angels, which don't have free will, it's not so exciting because they don't really have choice. They're just naturally good. Human beings, that's exciting. If human beings can express God's goodness with their free will, that's great. But giving someone free will is tricky business, because if you give them the free will to do good, they also have the freedom of choice to do bad. And so what that means is that on one hand, we have the free will to completely do God's purpose, but we also have the free will to destroy what God wants. And that's what happened. That's ultimately what happened. In other words, if we believe people have free will, so the freedom that people have, they were able to destroy whatever it is that God wanted out of this earth. And therefore, as a consequence, God did not need this world anymore. God did not need this earth anymore because the mankind with their free choice had totally messed it up. Uh, they tell the story, uh, uh, God came to Noah and he told him, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And um, he said, I'll be back in a year. A year later, God comes to Noah. The skies are getting dark. It's starting to drizzle. And he looks at Noah and he sees no, no, no ark. And he says, Noah, what happened to your ark? He says, listen, I started to build my ark and then the building department came and they said, you need to have a sprinkler system inside of the ark. I said, a sprinkler system is going to be a flood. Then came the zoning department. The zoning department came and said, your neighbor's complaining, your, your, this ark is getting too high, it's blocking their vision. And then came the uh, Department of Transportation. It says, we don't know how you're going to transport this boat from here to the water. You're going to knock down a bunch of power lines. Uh, we can't leave. He says, I'm not going to need to bring it to the water. The water's going to come to me. And then, uh, the, uh, and then I tried buying the, the special wood you told me to get. And apparently, they're not chopping down any more of those trees because they are, they're, they're being used, they're uh, a habitat for the, for the spotted owl, and we can't knock them down. And then the, uh, the EPA came to me, and uh, they said that uh, this flood might destroy the environment. I don't know if it's okay. I don't know if you can do this. And then finally, PETA came to me and said, you can't start gathering the animals two by two. That's animal cruelty. And uh, between all these uh, legal uh, fee battles that I've been fighting, I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees, and I haven't been able to build it. And uh, suddenly Noah looks up and he sees the cloud, the, 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 the sky, you know, the stops drizzling, the sun is coming out, the clouds are moving away, and Noah turns to God and says, God, you, you've changed your mind? You're not destroying the earth? God said, no, I didn't change my mind, but the government already destroyed the earth for me. Anyways, so that's the joke. Um, and uh, so that's kind of the idea over here. It's a joke, but bring out the idea that I wanted to say, which is that uh, we have, the human beings have free will. We can destroy this earth too. And uh, that's actually clear in the verses. Let's take a look at the verse when God says that the earth is destroyed. Um, you know, let me show you on the, on the slideshow. Um, it was earlier. Let me just fast forward over here. Um, 
All right. Here. Oh, okay. It says, God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. Now, actually, the Hebrew word for corrupt is nishchasa, which can also mean destroyed. And so what we see here is that God saw that the earth was destroyed. Mankind destroyed the earth with their free will. And that is why God said, enough of this earth, I have to get rid of it. So, sounds like a reasonable explanation. Okay, obviously you can still question what about all the plants, did all, were all the animals bad? It's, it's uh, questions for another time. There are commentaries that discuss that. But uh, on the general concept, we can understand why God said, I'm done with this. It's not working. Mankind with their free will has destroyed it. But this brings us to question number one today on the story, the big question, which is, if we have free will and we can destroy the purpose for which God created the earth and therefore God wants to uh, get rid of it, why can't it happen again? After the flood, God says, I give my promise, I will never destroy the earth again. But why not? What, what's what's, what's going to be different? How have people changed? What, what's going to be different this time? If we were able with our free will to destroy everything the first time, what's going to stop us from doing it again? Have we lost our free will? I don't think so. It doesn't seem so. Can people not be bad? Definitely doesn't seem so. People seem to be pretty bad. And actually, if you look at it, look in the Torah, it actually seems even more curious. Let's compare two verses side by side. Uh, this is uh, from, uh, 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 nobody asked me on this, but if you look at it, here on the left side is what God said, a rationale, a reason for destroying the earth. And on the right side, we have a rationale that God gives for not destroying people ever again after the flood. So what are the two rationales? So before the destruction, God said, God saw every impulse of thoughts of man's heart is only evil all day. And he was pained to his heart. And God said, I will erase the human being that I've created from upon the earth. So God said, man's heart is only evil all day. Got to get rid of him. After the flood, God said, nevermore shall I again curse the soil on account of man. For the impulse of the heart of man is evil from his youth. And nevermore shall I again smite all living things as I have done. In other words, God's saying, well, they're bad. What can I do about it? Huh? I won't destroy them again. Hello? You just said, because they're bad, I'm going to destroy them. Now you say, because they're bad, I'm not going to kill them. What's, what's going on? Now, this obviously shows that any logic can be pulled one of two ways, which is what we see everywhere, why people don't agree. Because logic, you can pull it both ways. But God shouldn't be changing his mind. <laughs> you can't say God takes one logic one way just to destroy people, and then another way say, I'm not going to destroy them. It doesn't sound very just or very right. So obviously, there has to be that there is some difference between people before the flood and after the flood, which is why the same logic will come to different conclusion before and after the flood. That's clear, because God doesn't. God is not, uh, you know, emotional and just has these different opinions, uh, different ways. Someone said here he has faith that we learn the lesson from the flood. He may have faith, but that shouldn't warrant a promise. Uh, God shouldn't promise to destroy, not to destroy the earth unless something changed. If he still gives us uh, free will and we still have the free will, then he can't promise it won't happen again. Even if he has faith in us, he, he can hope. But if you give someone free will, free will means they have the free will. And actually, if you look at it, it doesn't seem that people learn their lessons so well. 
So it still begs the question, which is kind of interesting, which is why didn't God destroy the earth again? You know, <laughs> it looks like there, there would have been some good times to do it. Um, people have been pretty bad throughout the time. Um, so what, what did change? And that's, and we're going to get to, uh, in our answer that there is obviously a change, but that's what we're going to point to in, uh, many of the things here. Yes, Katora. Could it be possible that before the flood, they were all bad all the time. And then after the flood, yes, you have people that are bad or have an evil inclination to do bad things, but there's also the good that can, you know, outweigh that in the oftentimes you maybe want to give them the opportunity to make the choice. I don't know. Or so you're that saying, you're, or, saying, you're saying before the flood they didn't have good in them? Oh wait, but that's not what we learned last week from from Yeah, yeah. They yeah. So they, they that have doesn't to have the ability to make a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. So I have no idea. <laughs> okay. All right. No, you, you are thinking along the right lines, you're getting there, but we'll we'll completely develop the idea at the end. Okay. Um, question number two. So question number one is what changed? Why is God suddenly deciding he's not going to destroy the earth again? Obviously, there is a change. We have to know what that change is. Uh, for some reason, the, the generation before the flood was hopeless, but not anymore. We're not hopeless anymore, even though both, of, both generations have free will. Now let's get to uh, the second question. The second question is, why a flood and why an ark? Um, God has many ways of accomplishing what he wants to do. So why did God go with this elaborate plan of making this dying ark and having this flood going on for a year? Why not vaporize everybody or, or start a fire or, or something a lot quicker? Why this whole elaborate show? Now, you might say, well, it needs to be very natural. The flood was natural to an extent, yes but it was also to an extent unnatural um, because actually the, the actual ark was not big enough to hold all those animals. If you think about it, uh, 150 cubits tall, what, 300 feet tall? Uh, once you put in a couple animals, it starts, it doesn't really float. And also the actual dimensions of it, it's actually a square boat. It doesn't actually float technically. Um, so the, obviously God had some purpose in the need for this entire uh, show in this entire year-long flood. And we want to understand uh, what is the purpose in this strange, long, drawn-out process. God could have done it in many, many other ways. Um, let's, uh, let me just share over here uh, text. This question is brought by one famous commentator. It says, the flood lasted 12 months. This is despite the fact that the entire flood was a supernatural event and the survival of Noah and the animals in the ark required special divine intervention. Being that this was the case, why couldn't God simply destroy all creation in a single instant and get started all over again? Okay, so, and as we're going to develop, what I'm trying, I'm going to try and show you what we're developing over here. What we're going to develop is that as, I, as we showed earlier, there obviously is a difference between pre-flood and after-flood, which is why God will not kill us all again. Um, and that change happened through the flood. Something about the flood is indicative of this change in the world, and so that's what we're going to point out to. Um, someone pointed out in the chat, uh, the people before the flood had everything given to them. They knew about evil but was irrelevant at the time. After the flood, we developed free will. Free will has both bad and good. Uh, before the flood, 
so you are you're onto something. Um, they did have everything given to them. That's something we're going to develop. Uh, but they also had free will. So we're going to have to, we will develop that idea. So it's good to see everybody is getting on the track over here. Uh, but both, both generations had free will. Both before and after flood, there was free will. We'll have to explain. So what is the difference? Yes, Katora. You had a question? It, it just occurred to me that like the flood is kind of like the ultimate mikvah. Uh, that's that's also correct. Yes, we will develop that too. Good point. Uh, anybody else has any comments before I move on to question number three? So, again, question number one is if people have free will before and after the flood, what's the difference? Why one gets destroyed and one will never be destroyed? Question number two is why is there this elaborate process uh, of this flood? Question number three is why the rainbow? Um, a rainbow is a natural phenomenon. Why would a natural phenomenon be a sign that God is not going to destroy the earth? And um, taking it uh, one step further is even if you say that the natural phenomenon of rainbows only started to occur after the flood, why would God decide that the rainbow is a reflection of God's sign, right? There, there has to be some connection between God's sign and, and, and why he's saying it. It's not just, um, you know, just, this is my signature, this is my rainbow, or it looks pretty. And actually, by the way, in Jewish, um, in Jewish uh, teachings, actually when there's a rainbow, you're not supposed to point others to look at it. Because actually a rainbow is a sign that God was angry, but he's not going to destroy us. So I know it looks pretty, but we're not supposed to look at it because it's showing that God's angry, but he's not going to destroy us. What about the rainbow shows that God will not destroy us again? Now, this question alone is not powerful enough, but with all these other questions uh, together, we're going to have an answer that answers all of this. Um, like I said last time, when you have an answer that answers lots of questions at once, then you know there's a lot of truth in it. And it gives a lot more meaning to all the details. Someone wrote it here in the uh, chat. Would there be any relation to the order of creation given the waters preceded creation of life? Reset button of creation. Great question. That will actually be the next point that we're going to make. So you are also onto something here. It's great to see everybody is uh, picking up on everything. That's the next point we're going to go to is comparing the two stories, the story of creation and the story of the flood. Before I get to that, I want to recap. So A, what's the difference between generations before and generations after the flood that before they're goners and afterwards, even if we're bad, we're okay. Second question is, uh, what is the story with this elaborate destruction of the world? Could have been done a lot quicker. Question number three is, what's the story with the rainbow? Is it not a natural phenomenon? Uh, what, what's its connection between God's promise? Anybody else has any questions before I go on to uh, the next point? No. Okay. So as I mentioned last time, uh, of course, one can find technical answers to every question, but uh, when we learn the mystical dimension of it, the mystical dimension is actually the real story behind the story. Oh, by the way, hi, Karen. Uh, when you get, that's the real story behind the story. Thank you. Hi. Yes, yes. Thank you for coming on. Um, it's the real story behind the story. Uh, just letting everybody know, okay. Um, someone was just... She wanted me to let everybody know. Jen said she has to head out for an appointment. She told me earlier, but uh, she will um, be listening to the recording. So make sure you ask all the questions she was going to ask. 
Okay. <laughs> so question number four uh, is really we're going to take a step back. And again, uh, there is a mystical meaning of the story. And actually, as we discussed last time from the Zohar, that's actually the real story. And it gets played out on this earth. Um, so if we look at the story till now, we have these questions and there's many, many more questions. We're obviously missing something fundamental. And so we're going to have to find something fundamental about the story that will explain to us what's going on with the story. So again, you come into today's class, you think it's just an interesting story with lessons, maybe not to get God angry. We're going to learn how this story is in the Torah because it has eternal relevance and understanding of how the world has changed. Similar to the story of Adam and Eve, we now understand the world is a totally different place. We're going to have also that today with today's story. So as Jacob already pointed out, uh, there are a lot of similarities between the creation of the world and the story of Noah. And by noticing that uh, there are these similarities, we can point out to the fact that pre we will be able to point out that, in a sense, both the creation of the world the first time and the story of Noah is actually, in a sense, both creation. What I will call today creation 1.0 and creation 2.0. So let's take a look at the vast similarities that there are between uh, the two stories of creation. So let's take a look. Uh, the first connection is going to be water. First connection is water. The world emerges from water. So let's take a look here in the verses. The earth was desolate and void and darkness. This is, this is from Genesis, the beginning of creation. The earth was desolate and void. Darkness was on the face of the watery depths and a wind of God hovered upon the surfaces of the water. So here in the first creation, creation 1.0, when God created the world the first time, the world came out of water. The water was watery, similar with the flood. The world emerged from water. There was an ark floating on the water. We also have here a wind of God hovered upon the surface of the waters. If you remember the story of the ark, similarly, when it discusses, it says there was the wind, the, the spirit of God floating upon the surface of the waters and caused it to recede. So we have two connections, water upon the earth. Now we have God made the firmament. He separated between the waters that are below the firmament and the waters that are above the firmament. So God separated between the lower waters and the clouds above. We have the same similarity in the story of the ark, where the flood came both from the waters above above and the waters of below. Interesting. All right. Then, next one. God said, the waters below the heavens shall pool to one place and the dry land shall be seen. Similar thing happened in the flood. The waters receded and the dry land was seen. So we have already a couple of connections. Um, just in water itself. We have four connections in water itself. A, the world was totally covered in water in both instances, creation 1.0, creation 2.0. 1.0 is Adam and Eve. 2.0 is Noah. Second thing is the wind or spirit of God floating on the waters. Three is how there was waters above and waters below. Four is how the physical waters recede and the earth becomes visible. Both stories have all those details. Uncanny and interesting connection. But that's not enough. Next is, um, how did God create the world? Any, any, uh, any takers? Anybody wants to answer the question? How did God create the world? Anybody? Yes, Keturah? 
or uh, Wasn't it with his words? With his words, very good. So the world emerged yeah. from God's words, yes. And where did the uh, creation 2.0 emerge from? It emerged from the Teva. What does Teva mean in Hebrew? Aside from a box, what else does it mean? Teva means a word. Teva also means a word. So in a sense, both in the first creation and in the second creation, the world emerged from a word. All right, then we have the other connection, which is something that Jacob pointed out earlier, and I think others may have too, I don't remember. Um, the connection between God's instructions to Adam and Eve and God's instructions to Noah and his children. Let's take a look here. You have side by side on the screen. Here is Genesis. Uh, the story of Adam and Eve. Here is Genesis, the story of Noah. God blessed them and God said to them, and here Noah, God blessed Noah and his children and said to them, okay, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and conquer it. Here, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Next, dominate the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens and the animals and every animal that crawls upon the earth. Here, the awe and dread of you will be upon all the animals of the earth, upon all the birds of the heaven, all the crawls on the ground and all the fishes. In your hands they are given. So we have the three ideas. God speaking to them. Okay, obviously God speaking to them. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And uh, to dominate the earth. So very, very similar blessings. Which Jacob asked earlier, so why does God need to say it twice? And the answer, as we're developing now, is obviously there's a creation 1.0 and a creation 2.0. And in this creation 2.0, um, in this creation 2.0, uh, it had to be said again, because there's a new creation going on here. It's a new world. It's creation 2.0, which is why God had to repeat it. That's why a lot of the details of creation are repeated again, because we are having, in a sense, a redoing of creation. Um, now the fourth parallel in the original creation of the world, the world emerged from a utopian era. So first the world was in a utopian era in the Garden of Eden, and then they left there to the regular world. Similarly, at, uh, Noah and his kids in the ark, it was a utopian era. How was it utopian? The fact that all the animals lived there peacefully side by side. The predators didn't eat each other up. Uh, animals that typically don't live a year lived a full year. Uh, it was a very utopian era within that ark, to the point where actually the commentaries say Noah didn't want to leave the ark. He was uh, living his best life. Uh, you know, usually you're confined. Imagine going on a confined cruise, just nine of you. Who's on the cruise is uh, you and your wife and uh, your, your brother and sisters-in-laws and your in-laws, you know, if you're, the, if you're one of the daughters-in-law. Uh, or, or just think about this, quarantine, right? Quarantine caused a lot of marriage issues. You know, husbands and wives being quarantined together. Imagine the husband and wife being quarantined together with their daughter-in-laws or, son or sons. You know, that's, it's, it, it, to, to, for everybody to survive that year like that in quarantine, uh, it's amazing. You know, I remember I once, heard, I once went to visit my uncle. One of my uncles was at a hotel nearby, a uh, passport program, and he was there with his in-laws. And he, he was telling me, he says, after this vacation, I need, I need another vacation, you know? <laughs> So it's a utopian era. So the world emerged from a utopian era, just as in the Garden of Eden, the world emerged from a utopian era. Similarly, the same thing is by the story of Noah. They emerged from a utopian era. That is connection number four.
Um, anybody has a question on this connection before I have another connection? It seems yep. to me like when you're talking about a utopian era, it seems like um, what they describe about the uh, animals, the predators not killing each other, it seems like a, a little bit of a prelude to what Isaiah talks about. Well, yeah, utopia, utopian, utopian right. means it's like a messianic era. That's another way of yeah. describing it. Correct. Yes, it was a yeah. utopian or other words put messianic era. Um, all right, someone said here, it's interesting to me that when the Israelites left Egypt, God split the Red Sea, making a path in the water to escape and save them. Um, yes, that's a class not for now. Uh, it does discuss when the Mashiach comes, God is going to split the water again. Judaism has a lot of connections with water. You'll see Judaism has obsessions with a couple things. Uh, don't want to get on a, a tangent now, but Judaism has an obsession with water, has an obsession with hair. Obsession with nails, a lot of interesting things is too, too much for now. Um, let me just get to the next parallel. The next parallel is the structure of the families that started and populated Earth. Adam and Eve have how many known children? How many children are described in the Torah? Three. Very good. Noah and his wife had how many known children? Three. Very good. Very, very interesting that both families that populated the Earth started with three kids. Uh, so again, to give our summary of connections, both worlds emerge from water. Just one second. Let me just give a summary of connections. Both worlds emerge from water. Um, and in water itself, we discussed the connections above water and below water and God's uh, spirit upon the water and how the water receded. We also have the idea of the world came out of the 10, 10 words of 10 utterances of God or a teva, which also means word. We also had that the commandments that God gave Noah and his children is the same that God gave Adam and even his children. Uh, both worlds emerged from a utopian era. And finally, both families had three kids. Yes, question. No, it occurred to me that it seems like both times the middle child was the problem child. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to comment on that one. Okay. <laughs> But well, I'll, both, I'll, I'll, both I'll, um, Cain but, and Ham, right? But, but talking were... about that, the middle child of my family was trying to call me and disturb me while I'm giving the class over here. Anyways, um, okay. Um, let me move on to three differences. Three differences between the two levels of creation. Why is that important? That's important because we pointed out how there's creation 1.0 and creation 2.0, but there obviously is some difference because Creation 2.0 is the one that lasts, and Creation 1.0 is not. So we'll actually see a couple differences in the story. Uh, it reminds me of the joke. I ask people, what's the difference between an elephant and a loaf of bread? Now, obviously, people expecting a joke, they don't answer. And then I say, well, if you don't know the answer, I won't, I won't send you to the, to the store to buy a loaf of bread. Um, anyways, okay. So what are the differences? The differences are, number one, one important one. The Garden of Eden, the utopian era, which the first world emerged out of, was created solely by God. The Ark, where the second creation 2.0 emerged from, was created by who? Noah, right? Yeah, created by man, created by God. Yep, 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 exactly. Okay, second difference. I'm going to skip the second difference because it's will just spin your heads even more than I've already done today. 
today's class is more on questions and less on the end and because the answer is a lot quicker so I just have to give more questions okay uh, question uh, the other difference is of Adam and Eve's three sons only one of the kids actually was the progenitor of the world so Cain killed Abel and then even Cain God told him uh, you know your family's gonna die out so, so only Seth. only Seth correct whereas uh, Noah and his kids all of Noah's kids were the progenitors of the earth they are the ones that uh, spread out across the earth. Okay, so now we're going to have to get to what, now that we've described that there are these two worlds, creation 1.0, creation 2.0, what is creation 2.0? What is it that makes it so much better? And if it is indeed so much better, why didn't God start with creation 2.0? Why did he start with creation 1.0? Right? If creation 2.0, as we understand it now, is the one that's lasting, why didn't he start with it to begin with? Uh, okay, Katara, last question. Are you, are you asking or is it rhetorical? Because uh, it seems like um, 2.0, it's more of a partnership between God and man in creation. You're correct. You're correct. Yeah. Uh, but we, have to, we will have to build on that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Because of the differences I pointed out, you are correct and good observation. Um, so, but we'll have to develop that idea. In what way is it more of a partnership and why is it more lasting? Um, okay, so let's get back to the basics. Why did God create this world as we started to begin with? God wanted to have this relationship with mankind and mankind would be the ones to express God's greatness and goodness upon this earth. So let's take a moment and discuss relationship for a moment. A uh, relationship requires otherness. In order for you to have a relationship, you have to have other. That's why you can't really marry yourself. I know today people make uh, weddings to themselves. It's coming a little crazy. But uh, technically, in order to have a marriage, you, you need to have otherness. Or can you marry a robot that you program? No, because a ro uh, something that you program is not other. It's just an extension of you you programmed. Um, it, it actually, indeed, similarly, uh, you wouldn't call someone a king if they're a king only over their family, right? Because that's not really otherness. Relationships require other. That's what makes uh, marriages so fascinating, the, the relationship over there, so fascinating because there's so much otherness and it creates this uh, special dynamic of relationship. All right, so now that we know there needs to be an other, there needs to be someone else, someone separate from you, there are two general types of relationships. Um, and we'll take an example today from teaching, which you can see in text number six, if you want, but I will explain it outside. Um, there is what's called, let's say, frontal teaching, where you give over information. And then there is teaching, let's say, like vocational schools, where you're teaching people a skill. Okay, let's take a better example from today's class. Today's class is I am imparting information. I'm not teaching you how to analyze the text per se, although you may pick that up along the way. Uh, I'm not teaching you how to read Hebrew. I'm not teaching you how to read the original verses or read the sources that I'm, that I'm getting this from, which is the Rebbe's teachings in, in Yiddish. I'm imparting information. Uh, what's the benefit of, let's call this top-down relationship? The benefit of this is that you can gain knowledge much more quickly. Uh, information can be grasped. Uh, what you study is going to be at a much higher level. Conversely, if I decided today we're going to do a different type of class, we're going to do 
uh, let's call it a top down, uh, a bottom up relationship where I'm not just going to give information, I'm going to show you how to study yourselves. We will cover significantly less ground. We might even cover only one or two verses uh, showing you how to read the Hebrew words and then how to uh, understand it and analyze it. Um, so on the one hand, the downside is you're going to get much, le much less information, but uh, the information that you're going to get is going to be, uh, is going to stick with you much more and uh, you will retain it longer. And even once I'm done teaching, uh, you can take that information and use it and apply it in other places of your life, even in areas where I didn't specifically teach you. So you may now be able to look at another verse and study it. Um, you say it's better to have a combination of the both. Okay, good. You're, you're ahead of, in the class. You are correct. It is, of course, great to have a combination. How you actually have a combination is, is a different question. But let's step back for a moment. So there's a top-down relationship and a bottom-up. Um, in a top-down relationship, what would cause a termination of that relationship? Uh, it can happen if, let's say, I'm teaching and you zoom out. <laughs> no pun intended, you zoom out, right? Uh, your mind goes elsewhere. So you're not here anymore. The relationship is over. I can continue talking, but I'm not talking to anybody. You've zoomed out. You're not here. Even if you're physically here, you're not here. So it ends the moment you zoom out. There's no more relationship. Or similarly, uh, if I don't appreciate what you're doing with what I'm teaching, uh, let's say, God forbid, uh, somebody, you know, I had a missionary in this class taking information and using it to, I don't know, whatever nefarious information, um, then I would terminate the relationship. I'm not interested in teaching anymore. Uh, so in a top-down relationship, the moment the relationship is over, it's over. The moment you stop listening or the moment I stop teaching, uh, it, there's no more connection. Whatever I've imparted to you, you have, and that's it. So if like some people had to leave early, if that's all they got from the class, they'd be left with questions and no answers. Um, hopefully they'll listen to the recording. But then there's a bottom-up model. If I was giving a bottom-up class, I was teaching, showing how to study the verses themselves. Even if someone left halfway through the class, the relationship between me and them is not over. They'll take what I taught them, those lessons, and bring them with their life. Think about it. The teachers in your life who you truly think about are not so much the ones who, who taught you great information, but ones who helped you develop your own self, right? Those are the teachers that you remember. You may have had very smart professors or wise teachers, but the ones who you appreciate and think about more throughout your lifetime are the ones who help you develop your own, your own self and, and take the ideas and run with it. So let's apply this relationship to our relationship with God. Uh, in our relationship with God, in God, trying to allow us to express them and connect with them. It can be in a way, as Penny said earlier, um, God being a giver. God just giving, giving, giving. The inspiration comes directly from God. The instruction comes directly from God. Everything is given. Everything is there. But at the same time, you have to be there. You have to show up in order to get it. You know, let's, 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 let's compare, let's say, the generation before the flood to that. Everything was given to them. Inspiration, it was all there, but they had to show up. It's like a kid, a little baby child who uh, gets everything. They don't have to do anything. The parent does everything for them. They stuff the food in their mouth. They feed them. They clothe them. But the kid has to be there in order to get it. You have to actually be there. So God, before the flood, was a giver, giver, giver. We see this in the fact by the fact that people lived very long lives. That's indicative of God's very giving manner. 
in, in uh, Kabbalists, it says it was a world of chesed, a world of kindness. God was in a mode of giving. However, um, the problem with that is, is that when, if it's just a giving relationship, uh, the moment you leave that relationship, it's over. It was a very top-down relationship. And the problem with that was once people left that relationship, they could not return to it. People had trouble getting back to it. In fact, we see this in the stories of the people who sinned uh, before the flood. Uh, what deep, okay, we know generally people sin. Who, which people can you tell me that we know stories that they sinned before the flood? Who sinned before the flood? Clear stories. There's two, two very clear stories of people who sinned before the flood. Adam and Eve. Very good. Uh, I, I, I read your lips. Uh, what's the other one? Cain. Cain and Abel. Very good. Look at those two stories. Adam and Eve. Did they express any remorse for their deed? Would they have repented had God not come to them? No. In fact, God comes to them. Eve says, wasn't me, it was the snake. God comes to Adam, wasn't me, it was my wife. No sense of responsibility, repentance. God has to give them everything. Even, re even returning to God had to come from God because the relationship was completely top down. Even bringing them back into the fold had to come directly from God. Cain and Abel. Cain has the worst line ever, am I my brother's keeper? He kills his brother and he says, am I my brother's keeper? No sense of remorse. He only starts to express remorse once God starts bashing him over the head. Again, very top-down relationship. People will only be connected to God either if they were still perfect or if God came back to them and bashed them over the head. It had to all, the entire relationship came from God. Who were the holy people before the flood? They were holy their whole life. Methuselah, Enoch, they were holy their whole lives. Uh, exactly. They did not have the capacity to, to do teshuva because the relationship was completely top-down more so than even a regular student, uh, teacher-student relationship. And a teacher-student relationship, even if you walk out of the class, you have the ability to walk back in the class, right? Here, since all inspiration was coming from God, the moment you walked out, you wouldn't have the inspiration to go back in. So unless God came to you, you wouldn't enter back into that relationship. Completely a top-down relationship. Either you stuck with it, or you left it and you lost it. So, the benefit of the top-down relationship was, of course, it was more powerful. God was much more giving. The inspiration you had would be greater. The problem was, of course, that it wasn't truly, didn't belong to the people. It wasn't theirs. It wasn't them. And therefore, they never had a capacity to return to it and get back to it. And there are other problems with it, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, so... After the flood, we have now the ability to not only receive from God, but create that relationship. There's an example. There was once a uh, Chabad Chassid. Chabad Chassid, Chabad Chassidim were known for, for praying and, and spending a lot of time meditating and, and trying to pray properly. And he one time saw a, a Chassid of a different uh, sect of Chassidism, and he was praying beautifully. And, and this Chabad Chassid had a lot of trouble praying. And he came to his Chabad Rebbe and he says, what's wrong? How come that from that sect, he prays really nicely? And me, it's so difficult. He says, listen, when that Chassid prays, it's not him that's praying. It's his Rebbe that's praying. It's his inspiration from his Rebbe that's praying. When you pray, it's you. That's why your prayers are on such a lower level. It, it, you have to bring it out within yourselves. That was kind of the model of the different Chassidim before uh, 
uh, before the war is, is Chabad was very much into, you have to create the relationship yourself, you have to study, um, you can't just follow everything the Rebbe does, you have to build the relationship yourself. And that's a similar thing now, is that um, God is not in the giving, giving, giving mode. He wants us to uh, create that relationship. He wants us to uplift ourselves, to bring ourselves up, um, to create more of that relationship. Um, someone says, is that relationship, got a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of comments here. All right, well, you know, I'll take a look at that for a moment. Uh, I'll expand on this idea of these two relationships a little bit more in a moment. I'll get to the questions soon. Let me just point out how this answers some of the questions. Um, so this explains, um, first of all, why creation 2.0 is lasting, creation 1.0 is not. Creation 1.0 is not lasting because once the people left that relationship, there was, it was a point of no return. So you might ask, so why did God wait 10 generations? My understanding would be, is he was hoping there would be some people who would want to stick around in the relationship. But as people were born, less and less people were interested. And you can imagine if you don't have righteous parents, it only gets worse from there. But also God stuck around because God was in a very giving mode. After the flood, we still have our free will. We may make just as bad choices as we did before. But the big difference is we have the ability to return. Um, we have the ability to come back to it. And that's why God is never going to destroy the world again. Because now we have the ability to initiate that relationship. Um, when I gave the class yesterday, I gave another example. I said, let's say I go out and I kidnap someone and I force them into yeshiva for a week, right? I go out there, I kidnap someone, I force them to sit in a religious yeshiva for a week, study religious studies. I say, you got to sit here, you got to study for a week. After a week, I'll let you go. Very top-down relationship. The likelihood is after a week, that person is going to leave and never come back right? Because I forced them into something they were not interested in, very top-down. Yes, they may have studied a lot of information over the week, but the moment they leave, they're highly unlikely to come back. Conversely, let's say I meet someone, uh, they're, they're roaming around in Israel, and I say, you know, maybe uh, come, I'll give you free room and board, come check out the yeshiva, try it out for a week, see how you like it. Now, even if they leave the yeshiva after a week, it's a more bottom-up relationship. They decided they want to go. Yes, they were uh, inspired by maybe money and a free room board and food, but they wanted to go. It's more likely that many years down the line, they'll take what they studied there and it'll come out in them. In fact, I've seen people in this community who that happened to, where uh, they were in a yeshiva uh, many, many years ago, and 20, 30 years later, they come back to it uh, because it's there, and it was something that wasn't just top-down. There was a bottom-up part of it, too. And in fact, us all living after the flood, we all always have a bottom-up relationship. Even if when we were young, it was all stuffed in our head and top-down, we still have that element of bottom-up. And so that's what's special about after the flood is we have that bottom-up relationship where it, it, it can come from us at any point in time that we so desire. Um, and this explains the rainbow. What is a rainbow? The natural phenomenon of a rainbow is that white light really has all the colors in it. Now, however, when uh, white light hits uh, certain things, a prism or, or a cloud, a raindrop, it reflects the, I'm not sure if I'm saying it reflects the light. Uh, well, anyway, anyways, it hits and it splits the white light into all the different colors. So all the colors were there in the white light, but now it takes it and it splits it up into the diversity of colors so that you can see it. All the colors were there. But now it's taking it and making all those colors at a slightly different angle 
so you can see them. And this is exactly indicative of creation 2.0. Creation 1.0, the world itself was very coarse. The world was very dense. People were very dense because nothing came from them. Everything was sent directly from God. After the flood, we are more refined ourselves. We are uh, more mystical, you might say. We're, more, uh, we're less materialistic. We're more refined, more translucent. We now have the ability to take what God gives us and reflect it. And not only reflect it, but reflect it in multicolor rainbows. Before the flood, there would not be a multicolor of the rainbow because everything was directly from God. Your inspiration was directly from God. You would only express exactly what God gave you. But now that it also comes from us, we have the ability, we're refined, we're less dense, we will also express our connection with God in, in a multitude of different ways. We're not stuck on one specific way. Because we're after the flood, the relationship can come from us, it will express itself in all those different ways. And so if you want to say the sunlight is like indicative of God's light coming to us, and now that we're refined, the clouds are refined, the world is refined, you know, the refinements of the world is indicative of what's happened, creation 2.0. We have now the ability to take that sunlight from God, that light from God, and reflect it in many different ways. We can take those heavenly gifts and bring them out in all different ways. And that actually explains why, uh, after the flood, uh, all the kids of Noah are the ones that prognate the world, reflecting this multi-dimension uh, of our relationship with God before the flood, there wasn't there was there there weren't so many paths to connect with god you know it was one way god beams it down on you and then you absorb it that way and that's it now we have that ability to have all these three kids and someone asked me yesterday well how could it be even kenaan the cursed child of ham you know he should be one to prognate the world and i said actually this points out the whole idea of what we're saying today nobody is excluded from a relationship from god today even someone like kenaan who was cursed by god Everybody can have that connection with God. Everybody can, from themselves, get up and connect to God. We, we have this, uh, the world is not so homogenous anymore. There's the diversity, and it's the diversity that God loves because we can express uh, God's creation. Uh, now, before I get to more technicalities of, uh, of questions that I asked earlier, I want to get to one technical question, which we asked, which was, so why didn't God start with creation 2.0? why didn't God start with creation 2.0? If it's so much better to have people in it, why didn't he start with 2.0? And that's because obviously there is a benefit to creation 1.0. And as someone pointed out, God wanted to fuse the two. So what is the benefit of, um, what is the benefit of the creation uh, of creation 1.0 where the relationship starts directly from God? And the answer would be is that uh, it's more powerful. Let's take a look over here. It's also in the student book. Um, one second. Um, let's take a look over here. I'll give some life examples. Let's give some life examples of creation 1.0 and creation 2.0. Uh, let me share the screen over here. Okay. Let's take a look. Um, here, teacher-student relationship. Is it better that the teacher lectures and the student listens, or is it better the teacher trains the student learning skills and tools? We discussed this earlier. Well, as a pro of the teacher giving direct information because you can gain more information. Uh, the downside, the con of that is, of course, 
that the student may not fully relate to the information. You get better information, you may understand it, but um, it's not yours. You won't have that bottom up. Whereas if the teacher trains the student in learning, the information you get is less, but the benefit is that, uh, what do they say? Uh, give someone a fish, they eat for a day, teach them to, fi teach them to fish, they eat for, for a lifetime, something like that. All right, here's another one. Employer-employee relationship. The employer gives instructions with the employee follows. What's the pro of that? The pro of that is that, um, of course, everything that you want will happen. You told them exactly what to do. The con is you're going to have to micromanage. Uh, what if the employer outlines the goals of the business, the employee develops strategies and how to realize them? The pro is uh, you'll gain a new manager, so to speak, someone else that can do the job. The con is there's going to be mistakes along the way. It's not going to always be how you want, and, uh, but that's what you have to live with. Oh, yes. Philanthropist contributes money to feed and clothe the needy. The pro is they get what they need. The con is you have to keep giving, possibly. Or you can fund educational employment opportunities to lift them out of poverty. The pro is long-term is good. Short-term, people may not get what they want. And we see in the world, we need both of these charities. We actually have both of these types of charities because there is a pro to each one and you do need both of these types of charities. You cannot just do one and not the other. So even though the Torah itself says the second one is better, we still have to do the first one because they're both necessary. There's a pro and con to each and every single one of them. Um, let's say... A parent-child relationship. If your parent gives their child all their needs, they'll have what they need. The con is they won't learn themselves. Or you can give guidance. The kid will make their mistakes. Um, but they will have their issues. So God wants us to have both benefits. God wants creation 1.0 and creation 2.0, which sounds like it doesn't mix very well, but that's what God wants. God wants both a top-down relationship and a bottom-up relationship. He wants to give us the power of God coming directly to us but he also wants a relationship to start from ourselves. And we can actually see this at Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? We had a similar idea. First, God came to us and gave us the Ten Commandments. Very top down. Powerful, booming voice. The people fainted. Their souls left their bodies, expired. And we know actually it didn't even stick. Because 40 days later, they started to sin. The golden calf. Then started a bottom-up relationship. But we need both. God wanted both of them. That's why he started with the booming voice. God wants us to have both of those in our lives. Let's see how we can actually have both of those in our lives in the spiritual world. So here is the most interesting example of all. Uh, God's commandments. God commands we obey. The pro is we're going to do everything that God wants. The con is we're not going to relate to it so much. It's not going to be our Shabbat. It's going to be, so to speak, God's Shabbat, right? Um, but let's say, let's take a look at it a different way. Let's say we use our own understanding and creativity to understand the meaning of mitzvahs and their relevance to our life. The pro is, uh, you're going to connect to that mitzvah. That mitzvah is going to be yours. Uh, you're going to enjoy the Shabbat. You're going to enjoy what you do. The con is that you may not do it all. You might only do what you want. And God actually wants us to do both. That's what God actually wants. He wants us to listen to everything he asks of us even the things we won't understand. But at the same time, he wants us to appreciate and connect to as much as we can. And you actually have these two extremes in, in, Jew, in Judaism and Jews. You have some Jews who are just into, God says, you got to do everything. You got to do it. You gotta, uh, anybody who doesn't do some, one of these things is, is, uh, is an extremist. Um, conversely, 
we have the other people who uh, say, I'll do it when I understand it. I'll do it when I appreciate it. I'll do it when I, when I feel it. And God wants us to have both of these. There's a benefit to being subservient to, to, to allowing God as God is into your life. And that is by listening to him, even in cases where you don't appreciate and understand it, because that's allowing God in his full glory into your life, subservience to him, being uh, self-abnegation uh, and receptive to God's message. But at the same time, God wants us to express our part of that relationship, because that's a more powerful relationship where it's coming from us. He doesn't want us to top down. He wants that beautiful relationship that comes from the 2.0 when it's coming more from our lives. That's the model of 2.0. That's what God wants of us. Um, and in fact, in our lives, we have, in a sense, we have these two things. Um, for example, when we're, uh, when we're younger, uh, general, general life is more top-down. When we teach our kids, it's more top-down. As they get older, it's more bottom-up. We have these two elements of our life, and we have to make a fusion of that. And that's why God didn't just start with 2.0. He liked 1.0, and he likes 2.0. But if he is making 2.0, he wants 2.0 to be a, con a continuation of 1.0. He wants to bring that and continue it in the second part of creation. Um, and hopefully this answers all the questions we had. We had one question is, uh, why can't it happen again? We now know the answer because God knows ultimately since we can rekindle that relationship, we will ultimately at some point bring it back. We will one day bring back that relationship. We also had the question, um, why the long process? Oh yes, this goes back to Keturah. It was a long, it was a process to refine the world, as you said. Actually, it says the flood lasted 40 days. The 40 days is like a mikvah. It says a mikvah has to have 40 units of a sa'ah. That's a Hebrew calculation of the amount of water that has to be in the mikvah. So it says the flood was 40 days because it was purifying the world. It was bringing the world to creation 2.0, to making where people are refined themselves. That's also why the world, the second world, emerged from an ark that was built by mankind because it had to be people's involvement in it. It couldn't just be coming from God. Um, we also have uh, yeah, we explained the rainbow, this idea of reflection, right? One, one more. Oh, and we explained why don't we begin with plan B because God wants both of them. Yes, what's your, what's your question? I'm, I'm seeing a real pattern with the number 40, whether it's 40 cubits in, uh, uh, in the ark or it's 40 um, or the, the sa'ah in the mitvah, 40 days uh, between uh, uh, Pesach and... Um, and, and yes, yes. 40 years in the desert. Yes. Like, what is with 40? Just, just as God, just as Judaism has an obsession with certain things, Judaism has an obsession with certain numbers. Uh, the number, uh, it also says it takes 40 years till you get, till you can get wise enough also, it says in Right, so, right, yeah. Uh, there's okay. also number three is an obsession in Judaism. Um, you know, I wish people would give donations in denomination of 40 instead of 18. Anyways, um, <laughs> um, so why why the number 40? Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I did read the answer. Um, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I'll have to look it up. Why the number 40? But there is. It seems to have some kind of connection with um, refinement. 
Yeah, because, there, there is there is something. Because if if you look at the through line, if you see with a mikvah, it's you said the measurement. Yeah, is yeah. 40. I'll have to I'll have to look it up. I'll have to I'll look it up after and class. Even with the desert, like they were in yeah. there for forty years to refine themselves. You know what? Probably, after... probably if you go on Google search forty, the number forty in Chabad, I'm sure someone will have you. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so let me just recap. I asked a lot of questions, and I gave an answer. But what I really want you to walk away today with, and I started with this, is you, you hopefully with the classes, I want to get you from point A to point B. You come to the class and there's the story of the flood, which just sounds like don't get God angry, right? How you, would you summarize the flood before you came to this class? You would say, well, there were people on this earth. They were really bad. God destroyed them and said, let me start all over. Now that you come to this class, you'll have a deeper appreciation why it's in the Torah, you know? Why is it there? We have many stories of God getting angry at people and, and, and destroying them for whatever reason. Is that this story is in the Torah because it has eternal relevance to our lives and understanding our relationship with God. Just as the story of Adam and Eve is a story with eternal relevance. And that's why it's there in such length of understanding our connection and how we relate to the good and evil in the world. The story of the flood is not a story that happened many years ago that can only teach us not to get God angry. It has much more relevance in our lives now. We understand our relationship with God and how important it is for us to build on our relationship from the bottom up at the same time while trying to get the top down relationship too. And uh, so hopefully you will, you'll walk away not thinking this is just some mythical story with some strange details of, of an ark and a flood. Now all those details have so much relevance and importance to the story. And that's what's so beautiful that I love this course and, and, and the mystical understanding of the stories is it takes these stories and makes you appreciate them so much more and instead of uh, you know looking at these as mythical stories, these are real stories. Uh, they have specific details for very good reasons, and they bring out so much importance into our lives. And so the mission in your life is, to, I think, twofold this time. A is identify areas in your life where you can incorporate more of that top-down areas where you can listen to God a little bit more, even when you don't appreciate it yet because you can bring more of God into your life. At the same time, find the areas where you can find more relevance in the commandments that you do, because that's what God wants. He wants us to, to make the relationship from the bottom up. He wants us to have that relationship coming from deep within ourselves. And so find those misses where you can find more relevance. There's so many, today it's so easy. There's so many classes and so many topics, so many books out there. I always say prayer is a good place to start because prayer is, is where you connect. There's so many great books, my prayer and other books, on prayer, uh, but whatever it is that you want, Shabbat, uh, I've spoken to so many people, people who kept Shabbat, but then as they learned about it, they connected so much more, kosher, whatever it is in your life, try and study more and have it mean much more meaning in your life. And if you do that, we'll be doing what God wants and hopefully we'll bring, I don't want to say creation 3.0, but the culmination of 1.0, 2.0, which is the coming of Mashiach. I'm going to stop the recording.